Happy Thanks coming! Hey everyone, it's episode 66. <clears throat> that is, uh, for those of you who aren't aware of that title, that is a, a federism. And I was thinking as I was titling this, uh, we're actually going to have an entire category of things that we can call federisms here in the coming six months until his wife replaces him. Uh, it's a pre-Thanksgiving call-in episode. I was on the podcast and I wasn't sure I was going to do this because to be honest with you, I'm not really in, in the mood to do it because <laughs> I'm, I'm doing one of those runaround at the last second sh Thanksgiving shop from hell things where I realize I still need like an onion or something. Um, but then I realized I, I thought about, well, I can do this tomorrow night, the night before. And then I realized, oh, no, I have a hockey game tomorrow night because I was supposed to have one last night, but my, our schedule's all fucked up. So I'm completely discombobulated at the moment. I'm going to kind of let you guys do the heavy lifting tonight. <clears throat> I don't have a topic. There's a lot of things going on out there. Uh, the NHL has decided to jettison half of its fan base. <laughs> uh, I guess it went full woke. So I guess they're all in with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, so that was something that's interesting. Obviously, Trump is back on Twitter. Something somebody notes mentioned. Um, it might. I see Andrew back there. It might have been Andrew. Uh, or it might have been Samuel or, or one of my usual dregs who noted just how quiet things have been since one Trump announced and two, he's back on Twitter. These were supposed to be like earthquake events. And it's like everyone just kind of went about their day because he's obviously not going to use Twitter. My hypothesis is if he starts to lag in polling or possibly starts to lose primaries, he will be back on Twitter like in a heartbeat. But that's a long ways away. Uh, we had media companies leaving Twitter. We had CBS say we're out and then CBS say we're coming back. Lasted about as long as a head of lettuce or Liz Truss. And I think that that's interesting and instructive in the fact that CBS didn't really have a plan. Like they realized, holy shit, we get 90% of our content off of Twitter. So we're back. But barring security or whatever, uh, we obviously have journalists are all tearing each other apart on Mastodon. That's pretty funny. And then something that I went into earlier today on my podcast was... Elon Musk made a very, very subtle change to something on Twitter, or at least him and his team did. Let's 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 give them credit. Let's give the 12 employees that are still there running things some credit. And it's one that not all of you probably have the ability to see or hide or whatever, but I do. And that's that they changed the super follower feature, which is something that I kind of enacted on my own Twitter kind of as a joke. I still can't believe they approved it when I told them why I wanted to use it. Um, and I, and I still just kind of use it as something fun to have. Um, but they changed the title of super follower to subscriber. And the reason I think that that's a big hint as to what's coming is because subscriber is generally the, 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 the more common vernacular for, you know, follower or super follower. So, um, to me, it signals that he's going to shift Twitter to a more content uh, subscriber content model similar to Substack or even Patreon, although Patreon's kind of at this point, um, don't hate. And so he also talked about voice uh, DM encryption and also voice call in DMs, and he's talking to the creator of WhatsApp for that. And the, and the person behind WhatsApp is on the fence because they probably don't want to be seen working with him, but uh, they like the challenge. <clears throat> That's kind of how all those autists work back there. And so uh, what, what kind of signals to me in the fact he's also working with David Sachs, who David Sachs is one of the founders and creators of Colin. 
is that they're going to look at shifting Twitter to a more con to a more subscriber based content. So something that you see on Substack. So I could record something like a podcast and MP3 it right up to uh, Twitter, which you can sort of still do now, but in limited amounts. It's so instead of people on Patreon, you would do a podcast and post it just to my subscribers on Twitter. And then I could tweet out to non-Twitter, to non-subscribers. Hey, I, I just posted the podcast. If you want to hear it, go join my whatever versus media on Twitter. And I think that that's interesting because that's something where we we saw that Sam Bankman Freed wanted to do with FTX. If you still want to talk about that, that's still out there. And so this is something that like in all of their kind of dramatic hissy fits and storming out the doors uh, to Mastodon. Journalists don't really think in tech terms this way. They don't think about where tech is going or where social platforms are going. And we've seen, obviously, with how successful something like Substack has been as, as a subscribership platform <clears throat> where people are willing to pay for good journalism and good media. And I think that that's been a, a valuable lesson. And then the question becomes, because he already said that he's going to get rid of the legacy blue check for everyone, yours truly included, um, how somebody re-earns that and if they do it as a content creator. And then it becomes would must be paying content creators similar to uh, what Substack did with a few writers. So those are all interesting places that Twitter could be going. And what's interesting is all of the tech writers aren't talking about any of that. They're talking about Mastodon and they're talking about getting banned over there and they're talking about transphobia and they're talking about stochastic terrorism. But the one thing they're not talking about is the tech behind what Twitter is and what it isn't and what, could it, could, what it could become. Uh, I don't want to make this a whole centric argument around that because I'm frankly tired of it. And as Twitter exists now, um, it's become very difficult for someone like me to maintain attention to it because it's taken away a, a very large tool of what I use it for. Uh, it's not complaining. It's just things change and you have to adapt or die. So just something to think about. Um, and if anything, so any, any stories out there that you see that caught your interest, I'm willing open to, it's kind of an open topic. We're not going to go too late because we all have shit to do still. Uh, we'll probably go until 10 PM Eastern here. Uh, just because like I said, who's really feeling it at this point? Uh, but I saw just skip me's gone. So that makes my life easier, but David, sorry, you caught me on an off night, but go ahead, dive in. Oh, hey, Steve, can you hear me? Yep, you're good. Go ahead. Cool. I, you know, I, uh, I guess what I wanted to ask you was uh, just a more general thing uh, about, you know, uh, what separates people like you and the commentary folks, and I hope myself, who, you know, who have no truck with, they, you know, the Trumps of the world do not like Trump. But at the same time, uh, don't want to sort of affirm leftism, which is pushing the culture toward a cliff. What separates you and the commentary crowd uh, and maybe a few other people from the likes of the Max Boots and the Jennifer Rubens, et cetera, et cetera, and some people at the, you know, at the, at the bulwark and maybe even the dispatch who are willing to not only uh, call out Trump and the Trump uh, crowd when they deserve it, which is often, but who also feel the need to kind of keep mum about all of leftisms uh, or many of, of the excesses of the left. And I think 
it's it's really I think the difference is, and tell me if this seems accurate to you. It's that's, what they're, that's good because I was just going to ask you what you think the difference is. Okay, I, I would say it's this. I would say it's just what they are suddenly. I think I kind of just indicated what they're not willing to what they're suddenly not willing to talk about. For example, you and the commentary, you know, you and John Pedaritz and you know Abe Greenwald, etc. You guys will call out the Trumps of the world when they need it, which is a lot, as I said. But you'll also be calling out the left constantly and the excesses of wokeness constantly, which needs to be called out because it's truly toxic. But I think the, the, the list of kind of things that, that, you know, the Mona Charons of the world, she's enormously bright, so is Jonah Goldberg. But suddenly when they kind of, you know, went in a different direction a couple of years ago and, and, and started, thank God, calling out Trump, what they wouldn't do suddenly is call out many, many things that they had no problem calling out when they were explicitly more conservative. So the list of do nots, do not talk about this, do not talk about that, that list seems to have grown for them. That, I would say, is the big what, what, difference. Does that seem what, accurate What would you? you say specifically are the big standout do not talk issues? Is it? Race. Race. Okay. So, R-A-C-E. Race. Especially, so especially that, that applies race, to David French as well. Yeah. Or so we're talking like political. I mean, the, the easiest answer I'll give you is I'm not trying to sell you anything. So uh, I don't, <clears throat> I'm not trying to get and CNN. And I know that that sounds like a right. cliche thing, but mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not in debt to anybody. Now, here's what I'll say. So what I mean by that is let's, I'll give you the David Copperfield story of me. Uh, 2011, uh, I had a, like a designer Twitter account because I follow a lot of design stuff, architecture, whatever. I create a, uh, shortly after I moved to New York City, I created like another Twitter account that got a little bit political. And that was the point and it was funny because it was just anonymous. It had a weird name behind it. It was like, whatever. And I thought, like, the best way to affect things is you just, like, tweet at Newt Gingrich, right? <laughs> and <clears throat> eventually, so I had a little bit of an anonymous account that started to grow a little bit. And how it started to grow, honestly, is Michelle Malkin picked up on me. Now, that doesn't endorse where she is now in the discourse. But um, she kind of started to pick up on some of my tweets, whatever. And eventually I was like... Um, I kind of slowly came out from anonymity and just because I wasn't ready to share if I was, this is something I want to put out there into the world and have people find. And then where, where I kind of started to take off was when Benghazi happened. And I had a lot of tweets about Benghazi that ended up in Twitchy and a few other websites. My tweets started showing up in daily caller and a few other websites. And I basically said, if, if I get to a certain point, like 5,000 followers, I think, or 10,000, I said, I'm going to start, a, I'll start a website and I'll start long forming. And that's what happened. And I called it the wilderness and I self-funded it. I didn't go out for ads. I didn't ask for people to write for it. I didn't ask for any supporters. I had a lot of people ask me to write for it. And people might be surprised who those names are today. And I'm not going to tell you who they are. You would just be surprised given where we are in the current discourse. So I, I just wrote it, The Wilderness. Uh, I found an editor that I could just basically bribe with a bottle of booze to help clean up my writing. I did big, beautiful graphics because at that point, my biggest problem with journalism and media commentary on the right is the left was doing it better in the terms of what it was good to look at on the web. So when you're reading something on the web, you'd go to Daily Caller and you get 50 ads and your computer freezes. If you go to Mother Jones, 
you 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 have these beautiful splash pages and these side pulls and these pull quotes and they're all great and the fonts are great and it's just easy to read. And so that was kind of my goal at the wilderness. And to talk more about web content and social media content and where you know politics was lacking on the conservative right. And I drew some attention with that and to the point where National Review picked me up and somebody at National Review contacted me and said, hey, do you, do you want to come in and talk and whatever? And um, and that's kind of how I came along. So I, I'm not really I didn't come along through schmoozing in New York media circles. I didn't come along through schmooze through universities. And I didn't go to the, you know, the Washington Post and then I'm jumping from political. So. And, you know, there's there are political writers on the right who did that. Oliver Darcy, for instance, started a campus reform. And then he I mean, Oliver Darcy was the guy who held the microphone in front of students faces and said, what do you think about that? that, that? And then when they say, oh, we don't like that, he go, well, that's Obamacare. <laughs> and that's how literally Oliver Darcy got his start. And then the blaze picked him up. And then when Trump happened, CNN picked him up. And so not to get into a whole yarn, but some of it's interesting is essentially I don't owe people anything. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not, you know, nice about National Review. But here's my thing is I think National Review was the most balanced publication through Trump's years. They, they you know, Rich Lowry went off and wrote a pro-nationalism book. But and of course, there was that whole debate between him and Jonah. So I think the main difference, and this is going to sound cliche, is there are a group of people on the right who are pretty self-established, like the commentary guys, where they don't really need MSNBC. They're kind of they're kind of content in their own skin to kind of be conservatives in the wilderness. And hey, if it comes back, it comes back. But we're not going to sit here and take all the money in the world to abandon it. Um, then you have the kind of the people from Weekly Standard who then f- fractured off and they became sort of the dispatch, sort of the bulwark. And as I've said in the past, and again, I'm uh, as much as I don't like doing gossip or anything, I know for a fact that the reason why the Weekly Standard, shortly before it folded, there was basically a philosophy there, and I know this from a firsthand basis, that said we can't attack the media because we need the media to go after Trump. Trump is a bigger threat than the media. Now, I happen to disagree with that because... One is going to continue to manipulate the political right to prop up someone like Trump to continually lose to the political left. They, 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 they've been trying this through history. They thought they did it in 2016, and then, oops, Trump won. Oh, what do we do now? They're gonna, they, we saw them do it through the midterms. We're going to see them prop him up again in 2024, most likely, and they're going to keep doing this. And to get down to just the basic brutal honesty about why I do what I do— it's because if you don't destroy the credibility of those people, you're never going to get a respectable conservative ever again. And that's the thing that Bulwark and Dispatch and people don't understand, which is why I kind of uh, I kind of rail on them when they decide to go sign contracts with CNN and NBC. And so I look at it and say, I'm not here angling for a CNN contract. I'm not here angling for NBC because to me, those people are the problem. So. I guess that that's kind of my only honest answer. Now, does that mean I'm not critical of National Review? No, I am. Uh, there's things that they write and some things I'm, uh, that I'm just kind of like, eh, nah, eh. But it's, it's like that with me with The Federalist. It's like that with me with Real Daily Wire. And as I've said before, I don't even really think there is a conservative media anymore. There's, there are conservative outlets, but there is not like a conservative media 
ecosphere. I mean, there's kind of Tucker Carlson at Fox, but then you have, you know, Daily Wire, but then that goes into Free Beacon. And everyone is just kind of now doing their own thing, which prior to 2015, it kind of felt like everyone was just united as we are the we are the right. You'll get different takes. And Trump, in my opinion, fractured all of that for whatever reason. And so now you have people who are uh, who claim to be conservatives, but they're actually Democrats and they need to act that way to stay on television. And I think there are a lot of people who just basically said, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to cash my chips and I'm out. Um, Donald Trump is the best thing to happen to a lot of people who used, who used to claim to be conservative. And the thing I always said, and I, I may have admitted this out loud or not prior, but whatever, it's Thanksgiving, no one's listening, is in my opinion, the only thing that mattered about the Trump years, the four years of Trump, is who came out of it with their integrity intact. And what I mean by that is who who didn't take the money on either side? And now that, that can mean politicians who sold out to Trump or commentators who were anti-Trump and then became full Trump. There's a whole, there's a whole scorching crew of that or people who will profess conservatives for years and now who make their money off of say the view and CNN appearances and Pierre Odemeyer's money. And so, and another problem, one of my biggest problems again is to me, the conversation is where, where, where do tech politics go from here? And this is what Elon Musk has inserted into the debate. I talked about this today on the podcast with the shooting in Colorado, right? We don't know anything about it. Now, if I'm going to, if I'm going to take the over or the under, I'm going to bet that this was probably a targeted attack, but I don't know, which is why you haven't seen me talk much about it because we don't know yet. And so when I see people out here saying this is this is because of Tucker Carlson or lives of TikTok or whatever, well, you don't know if it's that. So maybe you should shut the fuck up until you know. Well, these are professional reporters pushing this. Well, I, I said today on my podcast that had this shooting occurred under Twitter's old ownership, lives of TikTok would have been banned yesterday. No reason, no cause, just they would have attributed that shooting in Colorado Springs to that Twitter account. It's banned. Goodbye. Gone. And that would have caused a whole new resurgence on the political right of censorship. And as I stated, because of Twitter's new ownership and because of its new, I don't know, direction, the handcuffs are off that side of the debate. So now we can actually have an open debate on ideas around this topic. We can talk about uh, surgeries for minors. We can talk about the effectiveness of puberty blockers. We can talk about all of this stuff. And there's not a thing that they can do about it. And so this, to me, is going to be interesting going forward in that sense. And what you what kind of what you're alluding to is I'm looking at outlets that are backed now by big tech. So. Uh, you have the dispatch, for instance, is one of Facebook and Meta's fact checkers, and they're basically working with Facebook and Meta. That's more of a red flag than anything David French is like writing about evangelicalism to me, if I'm going to be 100 percent honest. And so uh, I guess I look at it and I say the people that I have the most respect for coming out of the Trump years are the ones who are basically exactly where they were when he was president. And what I mean by that is. Yeah, I, I'm a contributing editor for Spectator, but Spectator isn't really Trump obsessed. Spectator's all over the place, and they have a whole interesting cadre of writers over there. Um, Washington Examiner, I think, is pretty neutral in the sense of that they focus on news issues, not so much cultural issues. When you look at Jerry Dunleavy's reporting, he is a journalist through and through. 
he's he might be a conservative, but he's not like um, you know a real Daily Wire guy out here. He is an actual shoe leather journalist who who files Freedom of Information Act reports and whatever like that. And so um, the reason why, in particular, you see a, a hard on at the Borg, and in particular, their very too online drunk editor, oftentimes, is because the same people owned Washington Examiner and Weekly Standard, and they made a choice to keep one of them. They saw one of them as profitable, and one is you're not anymore because you're not really speaking to conservative audiences anymore. Bill Kristol has long been kind of a Democrat using the the masthead of the weekly standard to push, you know, kind of squishy neoliberal positions. And that just doesn't sell with people. Um, and so when you look at me, yeah, I contribute here and there, but for the most part, I'm independent media. I'm supported through Patreon. I'm supported by people who want to read tweets and soon maybe a Substack and stuff like that. And that there's several people like that there. Uh, if you go out and you search who have just kind of maintained, you know, the, the elevation that they've had through Trumpism and that that would be my answer to you. That m other people might have an impression of me that's different. But the reason why, if you want to ask what makes me different is, is I, I don't owe anybody anything and I'm not here to you know, leverage this into CNN appearances. If they want to have me on to talk about being honest, okay, I will do that. I will, I will go anywhere that someone wants me to appear. Or I'll write for anyone that wants me to. Um, I've, I've mentioned while we're doing gossip, which I know you love, and, you know, I only have a few callers back there. I mentioned that during the Trump years, um, I, I went on BuzzFeed's podcast. Ben Smith invited me on BuzzFeed's podcast, which if you knew me through 2012 through 2015, BuzzFeed was enemy number one to me. They were in my crosshairs all the time because of what they were in the journalism. They were very bad. Um, and shortly after that, uh, someone came and asked me if I would write for Rolling Stone. And I thought that that was great because I fully, I fully said, this was, you know, just post the Sabrina early uh, fake rape thing. And of course, this is when they put uh, Tsarnev on the cover and they, we had a, I had a conversation with an editor over there about if I would maybe go and contribute to them. And I basically said, you know, this would be like Kevin Williamson, right? Like your, your writers would lose their shit. And I said, sure. They said, we just, we kind of want another voice on the right who's not all in the tank for Trump. And what I told them is, well, you know that, you know, because I was very famously not in the tank for Trump. But I said, but I'm not going to be your attack dog for the political left. I'm not going to, I'm not here to shit on conservatives. I'm not here to shit on the political right. And I said, because it wasn't the political right that created Donald Trump. That's a very important fact that those people have tried to make you forget for the past six years. It was media who created Trump. And then it was leftist media and CNN in particular and NBC who propped him up. And so I told them that, and uh, they kind of said, we'll get back to you. And I also heard that from the Huff Post. And, I, and the reason why I would 100%, I would 100% go right for Rolling Star to help post is because it would make every single person mad. Conservatives would be calling me a cuck sellout, even though it was Andrew Breitbart who co-founded HuffPost, which would just be funny to me. Um, people on the left would be freaking out Kevin Williamson style on them, like at the Atlantic. And I, I, I do think it's telling that a lot of people who forget what happened to Kevin Williamson were... Uh, sure enough, fair-footed to go right for that same team at the Atlantic. So that to me, I'm not trying to like, you know, thump my chest here, but ultimately it's, 
it's who who decided not to take the big bag of cash in front of my, in front of them or the people that I. No, I'm with you. I mean, you're it's it's to, to, to maybe put a real fine point on it. Your values weren't for. You're always trying to get me in and, trouble, David. You always just want to gossip no, about the political. Right. I I don't you you're accusing me of asking. I've never asked for <laughs> gossip. That's the word you're using. My God. Um, but I but I think I think that what I just the way I've summed it up I think is accurate. Uh, it, your values were not for sale. Wouldn't you say that's true? And and I would say that also applies to, like you just mentioned, the folks at commentary. It, it they seem to call balls and strikes on the right and they have no truck. They, you know, they, they, they hate leftism and, and what it stands for. So they're, they, I think are in your camp, but it's a small, it's a small list. Unfortunately, um, I wish it was a longer list. I'm shocked, frankly, at the number of people whose values were for sale. Brilliant, brilliant people. I think Jonah Goldberg is a magnificent writer and enormously, enormously intelligent. Mona Charon, the same thing, but I am shocked and dismayed by the things that, and David French as well, enormously bright guy by the things they suddenly are silent about um, for, and for reasons you've articulated really well. So that was just that, and that remains very dismaying to me. And I didn't see it coming. I never thought Jonah and David and Mona, like if you had asked me four or five years ago, if they would take this, this particular posture, I, I, I wouldn't. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I, here, here's another thing. And I'll just be honest with you. Yeah. Is, I was obviously familiar with Jonah Goldberg from The Daily Show. That's how I kind of learned right. about him and when he popped up on Jon Stewart. I was never like a guy. I mean, my dad, my father listened to Rush Limbaugh and he, re- he read all of George Will's books. But that wasn't me. I, I didn't I didn't like ingest everything that George Will ever wrote or anything like that or that 90s brand of conservative author. I read Ann Coulter and I thought her books were clever, but I didn't take them as scripture. Right. Um and I guess I looked at it and I said, politics, I was always somebody who was into culture and media with who had a political position, right? So I was never really, you know, I was never the CPAC going conservative. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm, I'm famous for shitting on CPAC. Good for um, you. And this is going back to 2012. And that's because I was never really so much into politics as I was the media culture around it. And again, when you see what they're doing, and it's not even so much political, it's how they glorify the worst aspects of humanity. And that just generally leans political. And you can, you know, one of my favorite quotes uh, of of late that just sums everything up is Barbie, Bobby Cannavale, who's, the, who's an actor who's been right. in a lot of stuff lately. He played an Inside Edition reporter in... Uh, I, Tanya, which was the movie about Margot Robbie as Tanya Harding, which to me is like basically the Goodfellas of ice dancing films. <laughs> not not as how good it is, but it's just the content of it. And, right. And, you know, um, it's like a mo- it's like a mob movie. And Barbie kind of Bobby kind of all plays like this skeezy over tanned reporter for Inside Edition. And he says and, and he's looking back and he's like. Yeah, I used to work for this thing called Inside Edition, which was the tabloid media outlet that all the legitimate media outlets shit on before they became us. And it's such a great line that sums up, you know, what media does in the worst aspects. And so I never came up in the world of like conservative politics. I just kind of I I think I just learned to to kind of be a conservative. Certain things spoke to me. Obviously, I've talked about Tipper Gore's influence with the PMRC on me and things like that. 
And then I found Andrew Breitbart, which was someone who I could kind of more or less relate to, who was, you know, funny and he was, you know, he was kind of schlubby and he didn't really, he didn't really walk with that crowd. He was kind of still an outsider, but he was talking about things that interested me. And he was talking more things about how politics and media work and culture. And if you ignore that stuff, you're just going to get erased off the planet. And so I caught Jonah Goldberg's eye, you know, he, I kind of caught him when he was on the daily show and then that, and I was thinking like, okay, here's a funny guy. He's kind of nerdy. He's not, you know, the uptight conservative. So whatever. And as I've always said, their problem is, is they all kind of started to believe the hype. And what I mean by that is Goldberg's audience was very much sort of like college age conservatives. And I know this because I know of how many of them are pissed off at him now, including yourself, uh, how many are in their 40s and now their 50s who were, you know, in their 20s and their 30s when he kind of came along. And he kind of brought this humor and he brought a way of looking at things that weren't just, you know, William F. Buckley tilted back in his chair, literally peering down his nose, you know, and. I've tried to figure out what this white hot rage is. And I really do think it's because you had a group of people who just stopped talking to people and started talking at people. And that change happened. I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, But then you also, again, when it comes down to who the media brought in a lot of these jaded people to make an example of where conservatives were with Donald Trump. The perfect example is Charlie Sykes. I had never heard of Charlie Sykes for years and years and years and years. Now, my family did because he 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 was a low rent Rush Limbaugh in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee. Literally made his career just basically mimicking Rush Limbaugh and uh, elevating far right people and uh, writing books about education. Boy, where is that? And then he went anti-Trump, and all of a sudden, he's the editor-in-chief of a website. He's a contributor on MSNBC. He's invited to national parties. He's speaking at national conferences and whatever. And that's kind of what I mean with the saying that the, it's, it's very warm under that dragon's wing that you tried to attack. And it, a lot of them don't resist that because a lot of them now are in their 50s and their 60s. And it's like, I think they've really just checked out. It's like, yeah, we tried. We had our thing, whatever. And as I said, and then I'll let you get, I'll get you one last little bit of gossip in, and then I'll let you go. But <laughs> as I've always said, I would read, I would read the book. I don't want to write the book. I could, but I don't want to. I would read the book about all the '90s conservative authors that suddenly went oops when everything that they wanted suddenly happened. And that includes a lot of people. It includes Ann Coulter. It includes Charlie Sykes. It includes uh, Jonah Goldberg. It includes George Will. Uh, includes a whole, it's a whole slew, and you can look at people like Nicole Wallace, Max Boot, Jennifer Rubin. It's a whole slew of those people, David Frum, um, who just, they got everything that they wanted and suddenly just went, I don't want this anymore. And they basically roused the rabble for 10, 12, 13 years, and then just went, oh, we don't, we didn't have anything to do with this. This was all Donald Trump's thing. And it's like, well, no, you guys just, filled filled the bus up with gas and drove it and then he you stopped and he got on and then kicked all of you guys off um it, it's an interesting dynamic um I, I think a lot of it just simply comes down to um as i said part of it was about who was a bigger threat is it trump or is it the media and which one should we embrace and uh i submit that it's possible to not embrace either and still uh have a good I, I would I agree with 100 percent for me. Uh, I'll just close with this. Uh, well, actually, 
David Frum, I'll never forget this article he wrote um, defending Jennifer Rubin for her blatant, her flagrant flip-flopping. Uh, it happened on, on a number of issues. One was uh, the relocation of, uh, of the Israeli capital to Jerusalem, where things that she had been advocating for for years, the minute Trump did it, did these things, she immediately turned and said, well, this was the wrong thing to do. And David Frum wrote an article defending this hypocrisy. And I thought, oh, my God, well, that's her flip-flopping is gross and his defense of it was gross. But anyway, for me, very quickly, my turning point on with, with you know, the breaking point with Charlie Sykes came. I won't forget this. It was just another dismaying moment when he during the Kavanaugh hearings. Fine. Rip into Trump left and right. The guy deserves it. He's manifestly unfit for office. But when Kavanaugh was accused of the most terrible thing you can be accused of short of murder, which is rape, he defended himself very vociferously, if you remember. And uh, Charlie Sykes was saying, you know, he went a little over the top there in his defense of himself. And I, I remember thinking this guy was accused of rape. What the hell? And, and he believed and I to this day believe that he's he did not do. You know, we can get into the reasons why another time why this one would accuse him of this. But I believe he believes in his innocence. And if you believe in your innocence, innocent of the arguably most terrible crime in the world, short of murder, what the hell are you supposed to do? But David, but Charlie Sykes was sort of taking him to task. But you're for, still, for that. but you're still upset at him because you're thinking that it's old Charlie Sykes. And the thing you have to understand right. is. And I think a lot of this drives some of their thinking, which is, you know, there's a big reason why a lot of people in media don't attack the political left on a platform like Twitter, because they don't want their fucking mentions to be garbage fires for days. That really right. is what it comes down to. And if you if any of those people, once you go after someone like Donald Trump or whatever, and you make a career of it, suddenly turn around and go, eh, I think Kavanaugh's innocent, especially in the wake of the Me Too Guess what? You're not getting on MSNBC anymore. Right. And no, you're right. I, and I was missed to say it really is that simple and people shouldn't read too much into it and probably not get that upset about it. Well, I, really, I, once you're in that club, you want to stay in that club. And a perfect example is Hayes and Goldberg flaming out of Fox News and saying, we're right. out of here over election denialism. Great. Fine. That's a great decision only to three weeks later pop up on NBC and CNN after saying that cable news is also the problem. Well, guys, if you think cable news is the problem, right. then maybe you shouldn't be signing long-term contracts on cable news to sit next to people like Don Lamont and Joy Reid. You're right. I mean, it's, you're, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I'm afraid I can't avoid getting upset about it. <laughs> That's, well, you need to get over it. <laughs> can't do it, my friend. But anyway, Just you... Find new, find new heroes, David. Yeah, well, okay, well, I'm talking to one of them. You no, rock do that. You rock, sir. No, stop. You. Uh, no, no, you haven't yet. You rock. I voted. Uh, I, I voted no on the Trump poll, David, and I've been getting shit for it for any days. The good news. The good news is, is I can't read my Twitter mentions anymore. They're they're unreadable, so I don't even know who's giving me shit. You're probably better I called, off. I called. I called Sidney Crosby a transvestite today, and I don't even know what my mentions look like. Part of that's to... really part of that's really freeing. I will say this: with the new verifications and just everything is just mentions are just a garbage fire. Part of it is freeing in the sense of like, I don't have to look at replies to controversial tweets. I can decide to throw them out there and be like, eh. and then I go back and I look and I'm like, oh, wow, that made people really angry. Oh, OK, too late. So uh, I don't know, man, just just find better heroes, not me.
Oh, okay. Um, hope you have a great holiday, sir. Talk to you down the road. All right. Thanks, David. Thank you. Andrew, you're going to have to wait. Andrew, you're going to have to wait a minute. Vanessa, what's your medium moment going happening? And what's the things, what's the absolute Thanksgiving dish that I need to replace with what I'm already making? Um, okay, so I did not catch the beginning of this. So I was going to ask you, did you already purchase your microwavable mashed potatoes? No. Did you did you listen to the podcast today? No, I haven't had a chance yet. Yeah, so I'm I'm actually breaking with tradition. Oh my god. No, what? hold on. Hold on. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm doing a uh, a kind of macaroni and cheese egg yolk Duchess potato dish. Oh. And that requires me to physically mash potatoes. Oh, so you're doing it? Because I because I got because I got to get I have to get them into a caking bag, a piping bag, and so yes. yes. Um, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you on this. I sincerely thought about buying the microwavable mashed potatoes and then putting them into the piping bag. No, 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 no. I didn't, don't and then that. I didn't think that the consistency would hold because this is kind of a kooky dish. Um, so one of my one of my themes this year is it's it's uh generic but new, which means. I'm mixing, I'm doing kind of kooky things, but I'm throwing in, you know, uh, the the traditional mom doesn't have time for this shit Thanksgiving. So I'm making yeah. a stuffing dish, but I'm incorporating stovetop in some way. I'm not buying stovetop, but I looked at some things about how to do it. Uh, mac and cheese is a basic microwave thing. So I'm incorporating that with the Dutch's potatoes. I'm doing the can bot. But he seemed... I'm doing that with the uh, the the cranberry sauce, but I'm kind of putting a fresh spin on it. So I'm doing that. So I'm doing like the Dutch's potatoes, and I'm doing them in the icing bag and everything. So yes. Oh, that's impressive. Good for you. I'm glad you're yeah. branching out. Is I'm gonna fucking hate still? it halfway through boiling the potatoes. I just know it. Well, you'll you'll be fine. Um, I am making regular cranberry sauce from whole berries, like homemade cranberry sauce. So what goes into that? Because that was my thing. So I do have tons of whole cranberries. So what is there like a gelato that there's like a gelatin you mix with that? Like what? No, no, no. It, it makes its own gelatin because there's naturally pectin in the berries and it makes its own gelatin. So all you really do is you just boil them in water and sugar and it reduces down and makes a jelly. Okay. So do you mash them or blend them first nope. or like in a chopper? Nope. Nope. No, you just, nope. just boil them rinse, whole. them. rinse them, throw them in, let them boil. And when they start to pop, that's when they're done. You just take it off the stove and let it sit. Like nothing else. Nope. Just Some sugar, people. Sugar, water, and cranberries just yep. boiled. Yep. I always put a little Grand Marnier in mine, though, because I like boozy dishes. And orange okay. and cranberry is good. What about Maker's Mark? Uh, I put that in my pecan pie. Okay. Yes. I don't. I don't do desserts. Oh, bummer. So. Thanksgiving. I, I'm a, I'm a savory. Like I don't do sweet. I don't do sweet. I don't, I'm, all of my dishes are savory. I have, I don't have a single. So the one thing I thought about doing just, this is kind of the joke. Cause I do Thanksgiving every year is I, I kind of go all out with just really crazy stuff. And then I throw one table bought dish on and that was the mashed potatoes. Mm -hmm. So this year I generally thought about just doing canned hams, like a can of canned hams just on the fucking table like right there like i mean still decided to do that just you know the candied or the candied yams i'm sorry oh can, i thought you said hams yeah. like no stamped. not not the steamed hams <laughs> no <laughs> um 
So I might I might have to like rethink the cranberries because I like that. If it's just sugar, water, and boil it, then I have time for that. That that's, so, I can handle. Yeah, that. yeah, it's it's super easy. Usually they have the recipe on the bag. Like if you buy just a bag of berries, it's on there. Jesus, that's some Illuminati shit. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's on it's on the back. Okay, I yeah. might have to try that. If I fail, people, I didn't. It's your fault though. Uh, nah, don't put that shit on me. Come on. Well, it is. Some people, um, they like to actually strain it, though. Like, if they don't want the skins or the berries in the sauce, some people will actually put it through, like, a food mill or a strainer. But I just... I'm not doing that. I don't fuck with it. I just cook it, and that's it. All right. Yeah. What's what's your media tidbit for the week? Uh, I don't really have one. Honestly, I only hopped on here to give you shit about mashed potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you and everyone... (laughs) That was like I disappointed I everyone. I was like, nope, I'm I'm well, doing it this year. So it's kind, it's, but I'm not really doing of... mashed potatoes. That's the thing. I'm, they're not going to be like this creamy, lumpy shit in a bowl. Like I'm doing Duchess, where uh, you you mash them and then you throw in like three egg yolks and then I'm throwing in a little bit of like it's like a cheese. cheese it's like a melted yeah. cheese gratin and then you melt it down and then you put it into the piping bag. And then you put it in a, like a casserole dish and then you throw it in the oven and it browns them. So it's almost like a hash brown with a creamy inside yeah. is the goal. Yeah, like a, like So a it's not of- really mashed potatoes. It's Dutch's potatoes if we're being more specific here. Yep. Yeah, that sounds good. So the only other thing I make is um, I do like a little appetizer. I do puff pastry bites and you just you literally just buy a sheet of puff pastry and cut it into little squares and then put it in a muffin tin, and then I put, like, a cube of brie cheese, and then I'll actually put some of the cranberry sauce I made in with that, or I'll do, like, fig jam or apricot jam, and then you just bake it, and then crush pecans on at the end, and it's great. I've learned that that's way too much effort for the people that I cook, that I normally cook for. They don't really have the palate that I have. Mm. So, like, every year I would do something like that, and it's just, like, they would just sit cold. So I would do like four cheeses and then like a seaweed caviar or a white fish caviar. And then they learned that the, uh, the only person other than my niece that has any kind of, she's the only one with another palate. And that's because she stayed with me in New York for a little bit. And so the rest of the rest of the crew, they literally will just eat the summer sausage and crackers. And so this year I, I just like went, I'm not doing, I'm not going out of my way to do any of that shit. The only thing that I did is I bought elk, I bought elk meat. Uh, smoky sausages, so like the little Ooh. cocktail wieners, and I'm gonna do like a bourbon glaze over those. You are so fancy. That's all they're fucking getting, and then they can go <laughs> eat their they can go eat their goddamn store bought summer sausage. And because I'm not going out of my way and doing all of those appetizer shit this year, I I'm I, usually I'm very against appetizers on Thanksgiving. Like it's it's the one meal. I don't I don't have breakfast. I don't have lunch. I just. You know, you get there and you eat. I'm kind of, I always thought it was weird, but ever since I found that recipe, I mean, it's so good. It's like savory and sweet and a puff pastry. So that's just my little thing. But um, best of luck to you on your uh, your new dish. I hope you tweet a picture of it. Uh, I probably won't, but I'll let you know. Okay. Maybe maybe on the Patreon, I'll, I'll send everyone my stupid Dutch's potatoes. I'm sure it'll be fine. You'll do fine. I'm sure it will. All right. Have a good thanks coming. Uh, okay. Yeah, thanks bye. for coming. Yeah, bye. Okay, Andrew, you're up. Hey, Stephen. Look, I know um, this is going to be pretty quick, so hopefully we can get some more people. But I just want to say, 
I know you hate the World Cup. I know you think it's a commie sport. And I so mostly agree with you. But there's part of me that just truly hopes that we that we win the whole thing and we knock England out and we get to grab those limey bastards by the neck, give them a noogie and tell them in their face, it's called soccer. Uh, you kind of lost me at the World Cup. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I may watch the final game, maybe. I don't know. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I... The, the Don't you want to shove it in England's face that they suck at sports? No, I mean, but they all, but we do know that they suck at sports. The only sport they're good at is, like, tossing a stone down a hill, okay? And I'm fine with that. Like, we won the war. Why do I have to, like, wh- I mean, why do I have to, like, get, like, all, you know, aggro at them over a soccer game when it's like, no, we, we won already. It doesn't even matter if you win the soccer game. It really doesn't. Like, oh, bo- oh, goody, you won a soccer game and you are like the most you, you went from like conquering half of the earth to just your little island in a span of 230 years. No, I, I don't care. Well, OK, I, I, will, I will enjoy the arguments and I will enjoy watching people fight online, but that's about it. OK, well, other than that, I, I'll let you enjoy your Thanksgiving and I'll let, try to get to other people because we, we, what do you get off at 10 o'clock? OK. Yeah, I'll probably end up going a little over, but yeah, thanks, Andrew. I don't mean to be like so passive. I just don't care. The other thing is I noticed as I'll bring Jacqueline up, like the whole first day was like, is this about Me Too? Is this about the Iranian protests? Is this about Colin Cap? Soccer shouldn't be this exhausting, and I'm just, I'm done with it. Like, Okay. Go ahead, Jacqueline. <laughs> All right. Um, I just don't yeah. have anything to say about it. Like, I just, I get the World Cup. Is a, it's a big thing. It's a World Cup. And I'll watch, like, maybe the last game. But I so help me God, as, some, as a guy who plays hockey, I cannot watch soccer. I can't watch it. I've never been able to watch it. Well, I grew up playing soccer and played soccer in college, so I yeah, also here, like here soccer. We go. But um, I agree with you because I saw Carol Roth the other day make a tweet about the World Cup and say that um, it's, soccer is just the least interesting form of hockey. And I would agree with that. Like, I don't mind that kind of... <laughs> criticism like no like genuinely genuinely if you could like make the field smaller and maybe make the nets smaller and then maybe release a saber-toothed tiger onto the field at the same time then it would be really interesting yeah and like i completely like understood what she was saying because i like you know i live in tampa so it was like I grew up with the Lightning, and when I was in high school and stuff, I played soccer with the coach of Lightning, John Tortorella, his daughter. And so like I would get offered free tickets. My dad worked for Coca Cola; they were the sponsor. He would get free tickets, and I would just give them away to people because I didn't care about hockey. But it wasn't until 2011 that I started really watching hockey. And I like kind like tried to understand it, and I was like, "Oh, this is just soccer on ice. I get it now." Yes, 
so, okay, so one, and then so I became one, a huge fan. So one of the funniest things is I played soccer for one year, like when I was twelve or thirteen. I thought it would translate, so I was playing back on D. So a guy would be running down, a kid would be running down on me with a soccer ball, and I would be backtracking. The coach is like, no, 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 go forwards on him, go forwards on him. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm done with this sport. Yeah, uh, I was I, it's like, don't tell me what to do, communist. <laughs> it's like, I played goalie, so I didn't have to worry about that. Um, but the only other thing I was going to bring up was just to, to piggyback on what we talked about the other day with people coming back to Twitter, CBS was off for, what, 40 hours? And then they're like, oh, shit. We lost all of our traffic, which is probably nothing anyways. But they were right back, and nothing changed with the way Twitter was working from the time they left to the time they came back. Nothing out security concerns and I'm kind of like okay I mean maybe if you're worried about your account getting hacked but if you have like two two you know two person authentication on it then that's not a problem but no like nothing outwardly and that's kind of the the thing about it is I haven't noticed a, I noticed one interface change and that's that like the icons at the bottom got smaller which I was totally fine with because they're too fucking big to begin with um I think that it's like, what is, is CBS News going to go join Mastodon? Like, their journalists might, but here's this has always been the dilemma now with social media: is you have journalists who are working on their own brand while working for CBS, and that's how you get you know egomaniacal people like Taylor Lorenz or whatever like that. Is these are people who are more concerned with elevating themselves than they are elevating journalism for the company that they work for. And if you don't believe me, every single fucking article that she writes has to have three editors write a correction note at the bottom of it. And so I think like CBS News, the, the, the actual company and the people behind that decision realized, what do we do? Like, we, like where do we post our stories? People aren't going to come to our website directly when they can just go to Twitter and find, hey, what's happening? And until that day comes, they're not going anywhere, okay? Like maybe, I mean, I, I, there might be two options. A bunch of Twitter engineers that got laid off will go create a new place. And because of the sympathy generated for them being fired or whatever, maybe media companies go over there where then they're verified and, and that happens. The other option I said is last week is perhaps they just create Twitter on their own website. So like I said, if a car like runs into the Capitol, instead of people going to Twitter, they'll go to CBS where they'll see a live stream of their reporters saying what's going on and maybe that'll be part of the app or whatever. The problem is, is Twitter created the environment where we don't get our news from journalists. We get our news from eyewitnesses or people are on the ground with video recorders. I don't know how they think that they can overcome that because that's, that's the dopamine rush that people get. It's not the, you know, it's not the attention. It's not whatever. It's the fact that, you know, uh, if I'm sitting in traffic in a dead end in the middle of Manhattan and I can't get to a show and I'm wondering why the hell this is sudden. I can pull up Twitter and look at, you know, intersection of X and Z and there might be someone tweeting, Oh, Hey, there's a car crash up here. That's Twitter's power. And it always has been the power and the rest of it's kind of all not, you know, funny nonsense. Um, and until 
you know, traditional news outlets figure that out, uh, they're not, they're, they're not going anywhere. And the, and I think the funniest thing about that is I think Elon. Yeah. And even like you mentioned, um, in the last call in about the Dallas air show, like stuff like that happens and citizen journalism isn't going anywhere and it's going to stay on Twitter. And so for them to get the clips that they need just from a random person, watching an air show that's videotaping it and can instantly clip that and put it on Twitter because they're not there watching the air show. You don't have an ABC, CBS news reporter stand there videotaping the entire air show. So they're going to have to get the, the video from the people actually on the ground and Guess where everyone found out about the Colorado Springs gay bar shooting? Twitter. Yeah. Like, found it on Twitter because the people that were actually there were the one reporting it. And then eventually all the other major outlets got a hold of it, but they found it from some random person because they have a camera on their phone. There's not going to be a way around it. And until they figure it out, maybe they will, um, until they figure it out. I mean, Twitter, Twitter's power is not when Trent Reznor or Jack White leave. Twitter's power is when one media de-emphasizes its importance. And like I said, I said today on the podcast, today you had Jake Tapper talking to Adam Kinzinger about the Twitter poll that brought Trump back onto Twitter and Adam Kinzinger saying it's influenced by rushing bots. And I'm like, why are you even talking about this? Like, if you want to have Adam Kinzinger on your show, fine. But why Why are you even talking about a Twitter poll that brought Trump back to Twitter that he's, he said he's not going to use? And I actually believe him until he starts losing polling numbers. Um, and so, like, why are you even talking about it? And again, that's part of it. It's such – it's kind of an addiction in the sense of they know – what it is and they're just basically upset that they can't really influence the internals of the company anymore. And so this idea that Elon Musk is, he said he's, you know, he's going to make Twitter a citizen journalism platform. And I was talking with someone about this and I laughed. I said, I said, what is he talking about? It pretty much already is that if journalism is what, you know, if it's reporting information to people, then anybody on there can be that. And it's like you said, if you're on the scene and live something happens or you see something and you post a photo and that can be of an, uh, an air show disaster, it can be of a car accident, it could be, I don't know, two grizzly bears fighting in the woods where you're camping, it can be any of that, then, then anybody becomes that citizen journalist. And if, like I said, when Musk made this very subtle change where they changed super followers to subscribers, as someone who's in that world, who's in the world of subscriberships, whether it's Patreon or Twitter or even on this app, I don't really check subscriberships on this app, but I have a lot of them. Um, then I think that that was a that to me signaled the biggest change of what Twitter might become than anything else that he's done over reinstating Trump, over reinstating Kanye, because it signals to me that he's he's attempting to take what this app is what Substack is what Patreon is what all these apps are trying to do and his attempt is to make Twitter uh perfect all of that and he said so he called it the one app or the x app or whatever 
And that's kind of his goal. And even Facebook really isn't innovating that way. And I think what's really interesting in all this is how quiet Zuckerberg has been and how quiet Facebook has been because one of the things about all of these apps is they love to copy each other. They love to kind of turn into each other. Oh, they're doing that. Let's do that. Oh, you do that. Let's do that. Facebook had their curation team. Twitter did it. And then, you know, now Instagram's doing uh, long form and all of this stuff. And over here, like, you just feel like Zuckerberg is just sitting in the dark with, like, the Professor X plug-in head thing trying to figure out what Twitter is doing. And um, th there are things to me that are exciting that, again, why isn't tech media talking about? Why is tech media talking about transphobia and not? Yeah, I completely agree with everything you're saying. Everything you're saying. And um, I'll go ahead and let you go and let you get to Greg. So have a good one. Happy Thanksgiving. And keep being a mashed potato. <laughs> exactly. Go. I'm going to bump JD. I saw JD back, so I'll just put him right in there. Go ahead, JD. I appreciate that, Steve. Uh, I, I mishit the phone there, but... Anyway, somebody who's a hockey player myself, calling from Pittsburgh, I've enjoyed your um, your burns on Crosby, and, and even as a what a what, what burns? My hero. It's true. <laughs> it is actually. I was thinking about it. I'm not even that much of a Crosby fan, even though I'm a Penguins fan. Yager was my boyhood hero, but um, totally accurate. I couldn't think of anybody else who fit that better than what you said. <laughs> um, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to make hard of a lighter situation of the fact that like the one sports organization I somewhat follow actually just decided to just burn itself to the ground today. So it, it was just disgraceful. It's, it's somebody who's you know played myself and followed the NHL. It's just I mean, and the th here's the thing. The thing that's as you see is the reaction that I'm seeing. It, it's a perfect example of this entire debate, uh, and it's and it's very much boiled down to a microcosm. So the NHL tweets out. Uh, this uh, this trans hockey league in somewhere in Wisconsin, right? And there wasn't really a reaction to that. It it there was it was kind of like uh, people saw this and just went, oh, okay, all right. The thing that I thought was, was interesting is it's a it was the reply, yeah. It's it's so it said here here it is. It says the NHL is proud to support this past weekend's team's trans draft tournament in Middleton, Wisconsin. This was the first tournament comprised entirely of transgender non-binary players with around 80 folks participating. Something that's one thing I'll say that just, is someone who captains a, a, a beer league hockey team, a mid-level, we're not like A league, we're not D minus league, is 80 people isn't that many. Now, that depends on Middleton, Wisconsin's population. It depends on the surrounding areas. It can whatever. But 80 people, there's about 15 people a team. So that's f about four teams-ish. And so that's not a lot. There are 20 teams in my beer league. And so to give you an idea of, again, the percentages of the population we're talking about, use that as some stupid straw poll. So there's these four pictures, and it has them all at center ice, and notably none of their faces are showing. I thought that this was kind of interesting. Um, but then on the bench, there are pink jerseys. I like the colors, like the, the powder blue with the pink, and then the, the stick tape looks great, looks good. Um, and then it has, then they go the opposite team and one of them has like a custom rainbow stick. That one kind of made me jealous. And then it's, there's one of the goalie and it says, we heart team trans and whatever. 
And so if you noticed, it really wasn't the tweet that did that. So on this tweet, it was 253 replies, 3,278 uh, retweets and 11,000 favorites. And so that to me is like people, for the most part, saying, hey, great. Um, one response that I like and I kind of agree with is, congrats, you guys created co-ed hockey. <laughs> like, we already have that. And as I said on my podcast today, I have one girl on my team and then my backup goaltender is also a girl. In some dates, I wish she was the starter. Um, but it was the reply is what did it. So you had this guy say, so men playing on women's teams? And then it's a reply is trans women or women, trans men or men, non-binary identity is real. And right there is when they basically just set their entire fucking brand on fire. Because I don't even know who agrees with this. If you're a player, are you like now looking at this going, fuck, do I, am I going to get a memo that I have to, when I get asked about this, I have to repeat this? And that's the thing is, um, um, that's kind of the thing on this is it's not that we, let me, let me figure out what I'm just trying to say this. Nobody cares if trans people play hockey. That's that's not what this is about. And it's similar to what like Ben Gollin said is, you know, you want trans people to die. No, no, we don't. We're fine with trans people. They're fucking people. Okay. They go to the grocery store and they scratch their ass the same way as anyone else. But don't sit here and say that a trans woman is a woman. Because if you actually believe that, Sarah Nurse, who is this, she's becoming kind of the face of the NHL, and she played for Team Canada. Um, Attractive girl. I think she's even uh, half black, possibly. I'm not going to go there because someone's going to clip that. Um, Very talented. Team Canada. Why is the team not drafted her? Why is, I mean, is, as well as the Buffalo Sabres are doing, you think they might give her a shot, okay? But this is my point, is you can't sit here and say there's no difference in these sexes when, while simultaneously acknowledging that she would probably be leaving the ice on a stretcher if, like, I don't know, Victor Hedman ran her into the boards, okay? There, you have to acknowledge this. So they're playing this game that, to me, basically says... We don't want the guns pointed at us over what happened in Colorado Springs. So we're going to come out and just say trans men are men and trans women are women or whatever. And so this is the fundamental question of the debate is by simply sitting here and saying, no, they're not. (laughs) No, they're not. Okay. Non-binary identity is, you can say that that's real, but I can also, in the sense of the Wizard of Oz is real. But it's not real in the sense of the argument that everyone is having about chromosomal uh, sexual identity, okay? And so the first tweet, I think if you put it out there, eh, you're going to get some shit. People are going to go, oh, they're fucking men's playing men. And this account that they replied to, 300 people. 300 people. Like if you're the fucking... NHL social media intern, what are you doing? Like, you don't have to reply to this. 600, the NHL has 6.7 million Twitter followers. And you're replying to a comment from an anonymous Twitter account that is 300 followers, which maybe could be part of the NHL PR department. We don't know. And so 
it it comes this this whole thing like boils this debate down so perfectly. Trans hockey leagues, great. Who cares? Go to them, buy tickets, whatever. Go in raffles, get a jersey. Nobody gives a shit. And then when you go, oh, men are men and women are women, then people go, wait, what? And now you're the bigot for noticing that they said. Sorry, monologue on you. Go ahead. No, I, I, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. Actually, I wanted to call real briefly on, on something related to it and, and it kind of gets at the same thing, the underlying sort of, you know, emotional appeals to all this stuff was I, I've been thinking again about the Fetterman debate. And, we, you know, I called in after that and we were all aghast at how absurd he looked. And, of course, he beat Oz. And I was wondering, you know, at the time I said to you on the call and I was like, what if the 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 take that you know someone who's disabled should be given a position or these appeals to emotion i mean do, do, how do you see that 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 race in retrospect was it just that oz was such an idiotic candidate that that fetterman won or do you think that all of sort of weaponizing empathy and being i think or, oz or is a bad you? candidate and i think that's all there is to it Right on. They, I mean, they were able. They were able to basically. Fetterman's team was basically able to make the case that Oz was an outsider from another state, just moving into Pennsylvania to try and win a Senate seat, and that's a very powerful argument, especially in a state like Pennsylvania, which is very much a grassroots style state. You know, you live there. Um, it's very much like a you know, work to the bone kind of state. So when you can paint a Senate candidate as a multimillionaire just swooping in to steal a Senate seat. That stuck. And I think it's really as simple as that. Right on. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know people want more about that, but no, that it really, to me, and, and, and there was polling to suggest that, that, and even his team in an interview, I think with New Republic even admitted that they were just like, just paint him as an out of state carpetbagger. And it worked. And Oz is not charismatic enough as much as he is polished. He was not charismatic enough to overcome that. And it, I mean, they, there was polling that showed McCormick beats him, but Trump's endorsement of Oz put him over the top. And here we are. Yeah. And, and, maybe, and maybe, kinda, maybe we'll learn a lesson from this. And that's kind of where my reflection led, led me to think too, because I didn't, I didn't actually, I mean, I voted for Oz, but on the other, on the other, um, you know, ballot, I didn't vote at all for either of the two candidates, but in retrospect, I think that really was a mistake that, you know, from being, like you said, from being from Pennsylvania, he was just a carpetbagger that they didn't really fit the role. Totally agree. Nope. That's pretty much what it was in my book. Thanks, brother. Have a good, happy Thanksgiving and uh, good luck in your next game. <laughs> Thanks, JD. Take care. I'm going to be missing like half of my team because it's the night before Thanksgiving and it's just kind of like, all right, you fucking losers. Like, what do you have to do the night before Thanksgiving? I guess if you're traveling, that's the only excuse. But other than that, I, I know I have some lazy asses who are going to sit home. Do you, so. do you guys booze before the games too, or is it is it a more serious beer league? <laughs> I don't – well, no. Like, here, so, yeah, none of my – I have two guys on my team kind of load up before the game. I have one that's just stoned out <laughs> of his mind. But he's also, like, my best player, so I don't say anything about it. Um so I'm pretty much the third best skater on the team. I have two guys that are just way better than I am. Um, and as I said on the podcast today, I, I don't even booze after anymore just because I'm, I'm just trying to get in better shape and I'm doing personal training. And I've learned uh, – I had two, uh, like two weeks ago, 
I had a late game, which I decided I was going to have a few beers after. And then I had a training session at 10 a.m. that I thought I would be fine for. I, I wasn't fine for it. So <laughs> I learned my <laughs> lesson. So no, uh, it's a, it's, it is the weirdest team that I've ever, and I'm a captain of it, but it's the weirdest team I've been on because I have like, none, it's the team where the most, usually the guys don't gather in the parking lot and have beers. Like they're always just games over. I'm out of here. See you later. But we also play on a Tuesday, you know, Monday, Tuesday. So uh, I have like two guys who are doctors on my team, which is always good. You need one of those on a beer league team because you always have two or three fat asses that might die. Um, <laughs> so, no, it's it's pretty much show up and go skate and get your cardio. And then some guys booze it. And every once in a while, we'll go get beers afterwards. But no, I'm even even I, I even joined the, uh, the straight edge, pardon the pun, sober part of the locker room. Right on. Good luck anyways, man. Have a good one. All right, man. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. You too. We'll we'll go through uh, Greg and Josh. Sorry, I I removed, like, one of you back there, but uh, I'm anxious to, like, no offense, be uh, off off of this tonight. Uh, Good evening, Stephen, and good luck again uh, tomorrow. You, uh, that everyone was this um... oh see Greg's Greg's breaking up really bad so all I heard was you disappointed mashed potatoes <laughs> uh, yeah, can you hear me right. better now? So, I'm trying I'm trying to yeah you sound a little bit better but no you're breaking up so all I got was you disappointed mashed no. potatoes I'm like nope hello can I... <laughs> you thought everyone was disappointed potatoes no you're still breaking up i'm going to try to pull what i can out of this and just run with it oh shit Uh uh-oh uh greg i'm gonna greg i'm gonna kick you just try to rejoin i'm not gonna I'll, i'll just try to rejoin you're just you're breaking up so this just came out from axiom Uh, it, this is why you don't pull a Ben Collins. Now, granted, this is coming from his attorney. Axios just released. Colorado club shooting suspect is non-binary, attorneys say. The public defenders for the suspect in the mass shooting at a Colorado Springs LGBTQ club nightclub that killed five people said in a Tuesday night court filing obtained by the New York Times... That their client is non-binary and they use they them pronouns. Josh, you're up. I literally just got scooped by Axios. <laughs> is this you just you just came on to uh you just came on to do that one? I was gonna say if some people I know down there say they know the person and it's gonna come out as gay and I oh, just got scooped. No. Oh no. I was going to go to the AP next, but uh, no. But go ahead, because uh, no, I haven't so, seen I haven't seen the AP, and this is the stuff I like. So go ahead. Well, um, I don't want to put too much innuendo into it now. But well, story, don't put innuendo. Just to be, I think that story be as be honest true. as you can, because we don't want to spread fake news. And you say you know people down there who know him. How do they know this person? Give me as gives me give me as much detail and the audience as much detail as you can without like getting into shit here after the bomb threat 
um, people that live in that community um, were quite concerned. And um, this was kind of a big deal at the time, but it got swept under the rug quickly. And it raised a lot of concern in the local community. And nobody really got any answers. It just kind of disappeared, went out of the news. Um, I don't know, inflation took over, whatever, the election. But it just kind of disappeared. And after it reignited, a lot of people, which hasn't been reported in the news, that um, why it disappeared, why did he not get charged, why was there no arrest, why was the red flag? I mean, you notice, like, it's completely dropped out of the news, his backstory. and it's just gone and all it is is just blaming the GOP for the shooting. Um, there's just been a lot of people that have really been wondering and curious why this guy was never charged in the first place. And it hasn't even been in the news hardly. It's not been in the articles. It's not been tweeted. I mean, uh, other than from, you know, right wing uh, folks on Twitter, but I mean, the whole story has been just blanketed with just, it's just the GOP's fault, but nothing about this guy, his family, the prosecutor, nothing. So basically, the pieces you're putting together is because this guy did this bomb threat and the case, we know that the charges were dropped, which is, again, there are some funny things about this, which is why you don't fucking comment on them, especially if you're someone like me. Um, and so we, th- that was my first thing. It was, okay who did this then you get the name and then you get the history and i and i tweeted out the the report from last year it said he he there was a bomb threat he was arrested on kidnapping charges supposedly red flag law they confiscated weapons and ammunition and then you go how is someone like this still walking around on the street and then you learn the charges are dropped and then my next question is uh, why were the charges dropped? Because that seems now, okay, you look at the prosecutors and admit that that's, this is kind of where I start to fall off. And I'm like, you look at the prosecutors, you look at the cases. Um, and that's kind of where it dead ended for me. So um, go, keep going. I just, this is, I'm just trying to provide context a little bit to people about, you know, why you don't do what Ben Collins does. But well, um, yeah. so, you're, so no, your, insinu- I, I, in, your insinuation based on people you're saying you've talked to or whatever is that they didn't want to charge someone because of his sexuality or is that's kind of what I, I've stayed away from it. I haven't commented on Twitter. I haven't commented it really with anybody because that's just what I uh, that's just kind of like last year. The, the feeling I get was he is part of the gay community. Part of the reason everything was dropped was because of his sexual orientation, potentially. Parents had connections with politicians, and any, it was just dropped. And then the reason that he hasn't been profiled, like there's been hardly anything on him, the person, the family, since the shooting, almost nothing covered by the media. And, um, I mean, it's been really weird how there's just been, where's the cameras at his house? I mean, where's where, I mean, where's the... Yeah, like after the after the Uvalde shooting, I mean, people were camped out of that kid's grandparents house. I mean, it was yeah, crazy. I talked everywhere. I talked about that today on the podcast. I said there's strikingly little that we know about all of this. My suspicion. Oh, God. So we're going to find here's out. The New York, here's the New York Times. New court filing public defenders for the suspect and the mass shooting at a Colorado gay club that left five people dead say that their client is non-binary and that they use they, them pronouns. The the lawyers refer to their client as MX Anderson Aldrich. So 
here's the thing. I, okay. <laughs> so just to give you a, so when I, so when I read something live and I process it, it's easy to go, holy shit. And I look at this and I go, okay, how long has MX Aldrich been using these? Because I don't know, could someone do something like this? Could someone be an actual like right wing terrorist and do this and then go to guard and say, sorry, I'm they them now. So that's, that's where my head goes. I'm, and this is just me being skeptical of every single fucking thing that I read. So, but you're saying that, you know, this is so, so based on, I'll, I'm going to give you one last thing of speculation because this is just so fucking dangerous and you shouldn't do this. But so was he targeting the club over someone he knows? Was he targeting, he, he was he kicked out of the club and there's so it, many fuck you for kicking me out of the club. Was I banned? Like what? There's so many rumors about that. Okay, that give me one. I, I, that yes, um, I mean it was a personal attack, and other people were included in it. You know, you know, just like the guy that goes to work at the post office and unloads right. on everybody when right. he's really just mad at his middle manager. Okay, um, but <laughs> like I say, I've, I've not commented on this story. I've not said anything. My opinion. I try to stay away from these things until the facts come out. Because, but after hearing from my friends down there, they're like, "This is crazy. They're hiding the truth. Um, they're just trying to blame a political party when this kid is so fucked up in the head. It's unbelievable." Yeah, and so I, I mean, mean that's, that's the other thing about this, and this is why I don't understand why these people. Again, you have a media that's just looking. Again, I, I read this great quote from Jim Treacher's at JTLL today, and he goes, remember when journal, journalism was about reporting what happens and not what you wish would happen? And I'm physically angry I didn't think of that because that's uh, really this new crop of Ben Collins, Brandy's the Drosnys, Lorenz, yep. all of these people, that's all they're doing, and they don't fucking learn. And I'm going to tell you this. If, if it comes out, if all the details that you're saying are going to come out and Granted, I know what you're doing is speculation and stuff like that, and, and, and I get all of that. But as I said, here's the Axios story by the New York Times. If all of this comes out that what you're saying, I might clip it and put it on my website, by the way. No, I'm joking. Um, ben Collins should lose his job. Hands down, should lose his job. To go on NBC, to go on Morning Joe and say, you know, if this was Breitbart News or this was Tucker Carlson, this was Libs or whatever – he needs to be unemployed and you, and NBC cuts are already coming and he needs to be included in that because this is unacceptable. If this is the case, the, the thing that these guys don't understand, these 28, 29-year-old tech in misinfo reporters, whatever, is these things very rarely ever fit your priors, ever. And it doesn't matter if it's the political right or the political left. There's been two instances in the last six or seven years where this was the case. One was the, was the uh, Alexandria baseball field shooting, which the guy was a complete political leftist. He worked for Bernie Sanders, okay? And then there was the Planned Parenthood shooting, I think which was also in Colorado a few years ago, where the guy was just a complete fucking loon. And this was in the wake of the David Delighted reporting and that guy turned out to be like a complete like Fox News, whatever. But then that also disappeared. So that's another reason why you don't comment on it. And it's, again, the people that you see don't really comment other than strict retweeting news reports. I retweeted like what Guy Benson wrote, um, where he talked about red flag laws. 
that was really the only thing we kind of looked at and went, could that have stopped this? Because you took his ammunition once and he took his guns. So what is this now? And instead, you have an entire generation of journalists who are basically saying uh, Twitter accounts are getting people killed and using the term stochastic terrorism now because that's going to get real popular. Get ready for it all of a sudden. So, um, oh, did I just? Nope. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm re- actually removing Brady. Hey, guys, I'm removing guys from the queue because I'm going to let Greg finish up. I'm sorry because just we've been doing this already. Um, Josh, if you want to jump back up, jump back up. But I mean, this is why you don't fucking do what Ben Collins does because, uh, okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah, you're good. Yeah, you're good. Greg, go ahead. Good. Yeah. I wanted to say you didn't, you didn't disappoint me about the mashed potatoes. Okay. (laughs) You only disappointed me about the Brooklyn barbecue. Oh please! Have you ever had it? I have not. I admit. Then what do you? Then what do you? Again? Then how can you even offer an opinion on this? Just, just from the pictures, the sides. I no. You. We're not showing you the good photos. That's the whole point. We don't want you coming to New York to try our barbecue. It's fucking gotcha. crowded there already. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. They don't want you there. We're not showing you the good places like Fetisal or any places like that. Okay. That whole New York thing was a troll. So until you've tried it, until you've gotten a good recommendation from me to go try it, I don't want to hear it from people. Okay. Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, about media, just wanted to say a guy on Twitter said that um, Sidney Crosby was a cross-dresser. And... (laughs) Yeah, you're mistaken. What you think is a dress is actually after the games, he changes into his robe to go out and panhandle for the Harry Krishnas. <laughs> Someone said to me that he is more masculine than you in any arena that you can criticize him in, and I said, not facial hair. Um, <laughs> like... Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I just, I decided to cave and do a fucking potato dish. Cause I mean, I love doing roast fingerlings and stuff. I'm really good at that, things like that. But I'm like, those aren't really Thanksgiving. That's more of like a Christmas, English Christmas. Gotcha. And so I, mainly I like to do just the five minute mashed potatoes to troll my niece because that's her favorite thing from year to year. There you um, go. Then, uh, yeah, so I'm just doing, but I'm, I didn't want to just do like straight mess. So I looked for recipes and so I'm, I'm, I'm going the Sydney Crosby route and doing Duchess. I'm, they're, they're even called Duchess. Or also the Sterling Archer route, codenamed Duchess. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's, yeah, every, everyone always wants me to do my sweet potato casserole. And a few years ago, I was at a barbecue place down in South Carolina where they made it with coconut milk instead of evaporated milk. And I do that every time now, and it's amazing. So I don't do sweet potatoes. I've gotten more into them just as I've gotten more on a diet. Uh, but I have to be really specific, and I always hate how fucking soggy they are. But uh, I do I do a, uh, a butternut squash gratin. So the, the squash kind of acts as a a substitute for potatoes. So it's butternut squash yeah. and uh Greer cheese gratin. And the only that problem is good. that 
is that fucking dish is like one third of my entire expense for Thanksgiving. So when you have to buy like five bricks of Guerrero cheese, that's uh, yeah. like you have to you have to put that shit on a firm because that's not cheap. And uh, but it's worth it. And then you do I'm doing a cornflake crust on top of it. And so it's a really, really super rich dish and it's an acquired taste, but uh, it's one of my favorite that I, it's the first one I tried a couple of years ago and it just came out perfect. So now I'm, I keep doing it. Very cool. So, yeah. It's the one thing I like doing is like how you, you can substitute traditional things. So instead of doing a gratin potatoes, you do a gratin squash. And then for a stuffing, I don't use bread. I use pork rinds. So it's kind of like a keto stuffing, but the one, it's, I'm not a keto freak. But I don't like how bread fills you up on Thanksgiving, and that's the thing yeah. with stuffing is it's just bread. It's like just bread and fucking sauce. And so to remove the bread, you use pork rinds, and then you crackle it, and you use a chef's torch over it, and that makes it, like, crunchy. But it still doesn't fill you up. So that's those are kind of my substitute things. But, nope, I'm doing the stupid potatoes. Hey, if that's what the family likes, if that's what the kids like, you can't go wrong. And the moms will just be glad the kids are eating something other than rolls. Yeah, I don't do any breads. I try to stick. I try to stay away from any like heavy filling carbs. So um, okay. as much as I like, as much as I like like that kind of stuff, then uh, you know, yeah, I try to just stay away from any heavy dishes. So. Okay. Well, th- I hope one, you have a one of these Thanksgivings. Thanksgiving. I'm just, one of these Thanksgivings, I'm just going to do all Brooklyn barbecue. Okay. <laughs> and just put like some dressing around it. Sounds good to me. So, all right, Greg. Are you letting uh, me get out of here? Have a great Thanksgiving and thanks so much. All right, man. Take care. Mm-hmm. All right. So, once again, I apologize. I know I'm, I know I'm, re- I'm removing people from the queue, but we're just wrapping up here. So, uh, the fun federism. Uh, I'm going to try to be back here probably, I won't have a podcast, but probably Friday, uh, just because I'm not really good at not doing nothing. So probably Friday I'll be back here. We can all talk about how our dishes went. We can talk, I'll talk more about my stupid Duchess potatoes or whatever. So I just wanted to kind of get this one in tonight and uh, just talk about there's just a lot of little things happening. Um, just to let the room know, I just put on Twitter, if the details of the Colorado Springs shooter coming out turn out to be accurate, Ben Collins needs to be fired. And I fully admit that. You don't get to go on a major net news network, point the finger at a bunch of people who aren't responsible for something, and then think you get to keep your job. He, of course, won't be, but there you have it. Uh, I'm Stephen I'm Miller. This is Versus Me Live. I'm Colin. Uh, I, will, I will be back on Patreon tomorrow to kind of wrap things up for the week, so be sure to uh, jump over there. And like I said, I'll try to be back here Friday. Have a wonderful, wonderful things coming. And uh, I will hopefully talk to you guys uh, either tomorrow. I'm going to be talking to myself. I'll be talking at you. And then I will see you guys probably back here maybe Friday just to have a wrap-up vacation dish. So uh, once again, thank you to my callers. Thank you uh, to listeners. Sorry to those of you who I cut off. Feel free to jump back on uh, on the next episode, and I'll make sure you're kind of up towards the queue.